Hi, welcome to Revenue Marketing Television, the CMO Insight Series. I'm your host, Jeff Pedowitz, President and CEO of the Pedowitz Group. Today, we have with us Michelle Chambers, who is the former Chief Marketing Officer for Anaconda. Michelle, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jeff. Great to be here. Great to have you. And uh, I know we're in alignment today because you're in Dallas. I got the Dallas pictures in the back. We planned this perfectly, right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. So you've really had a, a fascinating career um, in uh, working for all different kinds of companies. So what, what would you say has changed the most um, in marketing over the last five or 10 years? I think the big difference of what has changed is that the micro segmentation and understanding your customer at a level of um, intimacy is really changed. And the reason that that's important is because content is king today. And in order to develop high value content that really targets your audience, you really have to understand what drives and what motivates and what interests them so that you can develop the right content strategy. Okay. Don't you, th I mean, content's always been important to us as marketers though, don't you think? It, it's at a different level of um, granularity. So, you know, we went from a broadcast era, right, where we were really talking about what was important to us as marketers, right, as opposed to what was important for the customer in their buying journey, not our selling process, right? And so that makes a huge difference, right? So what, what you find today is that your customers, and I've always worked in the B2B um, marketing space, that your customers know you extremely well before they engage with you. So they've done their homework and research and oftentimes have tried your product um, well before they engage with you in a buying process. And what you want to do is you want to make it easy for them to purchase your product, right? So, which means that we have to move from an era of, you know, there's a lot of CMOs that still even today think about gating um, their content, right? And gating just creates barriers and impediments for people to purchase, right? Because their natural behavior is going to be around researching your product. So you want to make it easy for them to get your content. You want to make it valuable to their buying journey. And so understanding um, what's the sort of golden path of the optimized path for them to purchase is really important, right? And what distinguishes, you know, do you need, um, you know, three white papers, as an example, right, in their buying journey, or is one good enough, right, for them to be able to make their decisions. And so in order to, um, you're going to have to experiment and do a lot more testing, right, to understand their golden paths to actually purchasing so that you can align your content strategy with your micro-segmentation. That makes a lot of sense. So you've been talking a lot about the customer, and I know the buzzword these days is customer focus, customer experience. Kind of funny that that should be a focus because like, we're all in business to serve our customers. But um, how do you go from uh, being a good customer service company where you're responding and then you're kind of managing the efficiency of customer service to truly being customer focused operationally, strategically, execution wise throughout the company? What are some of the things that that executives need to be thinking about? 
so maybe it would be um, easier if I told a little bit of a story of a company that I worked for. Um, so I worked at a company called Natiza, and Natiza came to market in a pretty mature market, which was in the BI market. Mm-hmm. And uh, the founder, Chip Cicina, brilliant serial entrepreneur, technology guy, um, would lay down sort of these uh, golden nuggets um, in the business for everybody to, um, he was not a micromanager. He liked people to be self-managing. He loved entrepreneurs, wanted everybody to be their own little CEO in the business and make their own decisions. And so he'd lay down these golden North stars for people to um, decide what to do on their own. And one of his mantras was about simplicity. And so that became one of the brand promises. So the lead brand promise was around performance. So we delivered 10 to 100 times faster performance. But our supporting pillars were around simplicity and value. And most people, when they're developing brand promises, um, think that they have to be unique in terms of brand promise, right? And the brand promise itself doesn't have to be unique as far as, matter of fact, hardly any of them are, right? Okay. Um, it's how you execute on those that makes a difference. So the simplicity one, what I found when I first joined, because I joined through an acquisition, was um, I found the customers were rabid fans of Matiza. And I was really intrigued by this and trying to understand what would create that sort of emotional response about buying a machine, right? I mean, this was just a computer, right? And I just didn't understand why people were so amazed by this company and the brand and the product. And what I learned was people would buy us for the performance, the lead brand promise, but they stayed with us because of our simplicity, okay? The simplicity made all the difference in the world. And so let me me, um, make that very tangible. The simplicity was everything from initial engagement through the ongoing customer engagement. So if a customer came to us and let's say you're a large bank, large banks rarely want to um, write contracts based on your paper and your contracts. Yeah. Um, so normally there's a lot of negotiation back and forth between a technology company and a large bank. We made it dead simple. Okay. All our NDA, was literally a one-page NDA that was a mutual NDA. So we would go to a client and say, you know, here's our mutual NDA. If you don't like that, we'll sign yours because we empowered our salespeople to know what were the one or two sticking points that if it didn't have those, we would absolutely sign it. Okay, so it was very simple. When it came to doing the contract, of course we had our own contracts. Again, they were not 30-page or 100-page documents. They were very simple five, six page kind of contracts, then our salespeople, again, if the client preferred to do it on their paper, they knew what were the two or three points and they could tell the customer that up front, right? And it made the negotiation process much easier. If a client had any issue whatsoever, we had multiple layers of like support to help them. So we had what was called a technical account management team, We had an emergency response team. We had this amazing support team that wasn't just reactive, right, which is what you normally think of as support, but it was proactive. So if you came up with some tip and you knew that this client um, could use that, a support person, no matter which one it was, would proactively call the customer and say, hey, did you know about this? And you don't see that happen very often in organizations, right? And so it created this... um, 
engagement with the client where the client knew, customer knew that we really cared about them. We really, really cared about their success, right? Uh, um, that kind of transparency and commitment is key to keeping customers because the cheapest customer you're ever going to get, which most marketing people seem to forget, right, is the one you've already got, right? So you yeah. want to keep them engaged and you want to keep them um, buying more from you and you want to keep them satisfied, right? Because that creates your reference base. Um, no, it's a great story. So uh, if, I, if I could summarize one, whatever your brand promise is, know what that is and then find ways to empower your employees so that you're fulfilling on that brand promise all the way through Absolutely. the customer life cycle. Because I think at the end of the day, really in today's world, it's the customer that owns our brand, right? Not us. I mean, we can only try and fulfill it, but they have a lot more control over us than we have. We, we're not in control. <laughs> uh, so we're really here to serve, right? Well said. Well okay. said. Yeah. So um, technology has changed a lot, too throughout your career um you, you talked about all different kinds of initiatives at some of your last couple of companies how do you think about technology strategically in today's day and age i mean what are some of the approaches that you take to drive scalability within your organization yeah so today you know i can't imagine um doing marketing without more tech right and now without having technology um fuel your marketing organization um to me martech is really a way to instrument and optimize your demand generation engine so i think about demand generation as a machine and very much an engine um, and so if you want to have predictable revenue you've got to set up your marketing operations and then just measure relentlessly um, so you understand what you measure, right? So if you don't measure something, you're not going to have clarity um, around it. So I'll give you an example at Anaconda, which was an open source company, right? Um, we downloads was a critical number for us. And the more downloads we created, the more opportunities we had to convert that community um, to paying customers. And it's a small fraction that actually will convert in open source companies. But if you don't grow that base, then you can't grow your conversion rate, right? Um, so we focused on um, growing our downloads and we grew our downloads um, by 5.3X from 3 million to 16 million in just 18 months. Um, two other critical numbers for us were monthly recurring revenues and annual recurring revenues, right? And we were able to also simultaneously increase our average selling price from 19K to 73K. And we grew our MRR by 5.5X and our ARR by 8X, okay? All while driving down our cost by 4.9X. These types of measurements, right, could not have been done without having the proper MarTech behind it so that we were measuring everything right behind it. We couldn't have done this all manually and we couldn't have done it at that rate um, if we didn't have the proper measurements and MarTech um, behind that. Um, you know, for us, part of it was also um, events were a really big piece of our marketing plans and strategy because we had a, um, a, a process by which we had to fill up the pipeline with some smaller transactions, but also with some large deals. And so for us, um, in order to get six-figure deals in B2B um, sales, we had to have some marketing. And so we had to know how to cost-effectively um, not only drive demand through these marketing events. Um, for me, the reason to have marketing is to drive sales. Um, and I don't really... Um, 
care about how much funnel you drive if you can't do the conversions. Because if you can't convert, you have failed, right? Well and said. <laughs> most, most sales executives don't hear CMOs say that, right? And so when they hear you saying that to your team, then all of a sudden you have the power of the entire sales organization behind you as well, right? And they'll figure out, you know, they'll line up behind you, they'll figure out like creative campaigns to add to the mix. They'll, um, they know the customers extremely well, right? So we have a theoretical, really, for the most part, perspective on customers and marketing. Like I'm not that way. I go out and actually talk to customers, right? Because I don't know how you do that job without talking to customers, right? It's but pretty amazing, actually, people, how many don't. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. And, um, you know, you can watch, once you see sales and marketing align and work together, that's when you get velocity in your sales funnel. And that that's like magic, right, in an organization. All of a sudden, everything, instead of it being uh, a really arduous turn the crank, all of a sudden, it's just pulling you along because everything just starts working so easily together. So, so it sounds like you're running marketing like a business. <laughs> Maybe, yeah, so I have an engineering background and an MBA, so I'm dangerous, right, you know, so with the combination, disciplined execution, and then uh, figuring out how to do things in a business way, yes. There, there you go. So you had mentioned uh, marketing operations um, a little while back in the interview. So what role does that play as a function? Because I, you know, I think for a lot of executives, they might not be aware of what marketing ops is. So what does it mean to you, and how have you been applying it? Yeah, so for me, marketing operations is all about the systems that are set up in place to manage, guide, and execute the marketing processes. So most people don't realize that in marketing, um, just like in any other part of the business, there are um, processes. And in today's age, um, the processes, because of the micro-segmentation, are a lot more complex. And so you have to have the right infrastructure in place in order to be able to execute on um, many different campaigns to be able to um, have segmentations and have like essentially decision trees um, throughout the buying process, which means that your complexity has gone up. So you have to have the right software and technology in place to support that. And it all has to be integrated, right? Because we, we have multiple channels. so. Um, even though like in, in most of the B2B businesses I've been associated with, we didn't transact on a website, but the website is where is the outlet for most of the content, right? And so you have to be able to tie that then to offline type of operations as well. So how are customers, you know, when they came to an event, okay, did they follow up to going to your website, right? So what was, maybe that was the lead activity of the event, but then what were the secondary effects that come to your website? What is their path and how is that different from when you ran a digital advertising campaign where people go to your website? What's the type of content journey that they have in their buying process and how is that different? You could not do that today without having very strong marketing operations behind that that are measuring all of those and tying all of those together. And unfortunately, I don't find the analytic. Well, I'm also a little bit of an analytic snob, right? I've spent 20 years now in predictive analytics, advanced analytics. So I don't find most of the tools from an analytics perspective um, 
all that powerful. Um, but what we tend to do in any of the operations that I set up is we work with a data scientist or data science team to do some um, more sophisticated type of analysis, um, but still utilizing all the all the measurements that were created through the marketing operations. Well, Michelle, it's very easy to see why you've been so successful in your career. Um, love the stories, your discipline approach. And thank you so much for being on the program today. I know our audience is really going to appreciate it. Well, thank you very much for your time today, Jeff. I enjoyed it immensely and I appreciate it. You bet. Thank you.